Hi guys, welcome back to the Flushing It podcast. I'm joined today by Jerry Foltz, who's uh, one of the lead analysts on Live Golf. Um, how's things, mate? Things aren't bad. Uh, five, this is the end of the fifth week in a row of nothingness for me. Uh, so I'm tired of doing yard work. I travel with my girlfriend when she does her work for Golf Channel quite often to be able to see her and tired of being a cabana boy. So I'm ready to get back to work and get to Chicago. Yeah, I was about to ask you, actually, what have you done with your five weeks off? So apart from losing to your son for the first time, um, what else have you been up to? Well, tell me a bit about that first. Yeah, my son is golf nuts. He works for Bridgestone Golf. He is uh, long uh, for about two years now. He was hired to be their their only engineer. They had never hired an engineer here in America. They have obviously some in Japan. And he's been making golf balls up in Atlanta, but he wanted to get back to Orlando. And now he works for Bridgestone in Orlando as their uh, territory sales manager. Well, he's a young guy to be getting a job like that because those are kind of hard to come by. But he's a he's a golf nut. And, but he didn't take it seriously till later in life, till those past those formative years where you tend to pick up things very easily. Plays off about a four right now, but has never beat me. And we played Iowa with his first time. He grew up two miles away but he'd never been inside the gates of Isleworth because it's pretty exclusive. And uh, we played there and he shot 75 at Isleworth from the next to back tees against my 76 from the more forward tees. And I, I fought like crazy to beat his butt, but didn't happen. And uh, I couldn't be more proud. And he beat me again the next day. No way. That's awesome. I remember the first time I beat my dad. It was, it's a memory I'll keep forever. So yeah, he'd always have that. That's sweet. Um, I read somewhere that you've had seven hole in ones. Is is that right? No, that's not. I've had uh, this. This is. I'm not one to pat myself on the back. And when you get older, it seems even less important because old people love talking about themselves. And I'm hopefully not one of them. But I've had thirteen. <laughs> wow. Okay. Do you remember all of them? Uh, if some, if I had written them down, I would have. I could. I mean, a memory will come back to me. I remember the first, uh, the second, and then I remember the one when my uh, then wife was pregnant with my son, my only child, Jackson, uh, and I won a car. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, awesome. event in Philadelphia. I donated it to charity, Tom. Good man. I, I drove it 237,000 miles first, and then I donated this, <laughs> this junk to charity. Oh, fair play. That's really cool. Um. Yeah, so obviously you made the decision last year to um to switch from the golf channel to start working for Live. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that decision, please? Like sort of when it went into it. It was excruciating. It was a really tough decision. There were a lot of things, uh, obviously, that that influenced me. Um, number one was being part of something exciting and new, but that wasn't first and foremost. That was one of the bonuses of it. Uh, the producer they hired is the absolute best in the business and the exact same guy who hired me at Golf Channel back in 1995. His name's Keith Herschland, and he also happens to be one of my closest, probably my best friend. I was best man at his wedding, so that had a hell of a lot to do with it. I wanted to have fun working again. I didn't want it to feel like a job. The pay was a, an enormous factor, um, but to be honest, that wasn't even close to the deciding factor because I had plenty of more years left in me at Golf Channel before they sent me out to pasture. Uh, I think I did anyway. And uh, it was my son, my 20, now 27 year old son, when I talked to him about it and I said, you heard about this league? And he goes, dad, the business plan is brilliant. He says, it's absolutely genius what they're gonna do with the, with the, the game of professional golf. He said, uh, 
I told him, what would you think about me being a part of it? And he just, I mean, he was through the roof, so excited for me to even have to be in the discussions with Livedoff to join their broadcast team. And, and I told him everything I was agonizing about in terms of the backlash, if it was going to push back on Karen's career, broadcasting for NBC Golf Channel, all the little, you know, the pettiness of it. And uh, he said, Dad, you don't have that many years left. You don't want to spend them uh, regretting not having the balls to take a effing chance for once in your life. So that was the uh, deciding factor. Fair play. Um, were you surprised at the backlash that came with that decision? Well, it, yes and no. I mean, PJ Tour is a monopoly, and and they've been they've been ex aggressively expanding their control and footprint in the landscape of professional golf worldwide, whether it be through essentially the acquisition of the DP World Tour or the or the the tight grip they have on the OWGR from a from a standpoint of, uh, of political control. Um, they have been expanding their control and I, I knew they would fight back. I don't blame them for fighting back. If I were Jay Monahan, uh, for the most part, I would have done everything he did exactly as he did it, except obviously not playing the uh, sympathy card about families of 911. Um, but it was it was understandable. I didn't know how many people in the in the actual golf media, in the actual golf media, not the fans, not the not the online, you know, the so-called influencers, emerging media type people. I didn't know how many of them uh, needed to butter their bread through their association with the PGA Tour. That part really surprised me. From a fan standpoint, it, it was fine. It didn't hurt at all. A lot of my friends were fully understand and supported me. A lot of, a lot of people um, took some cheap shots about the source of the funding, which, you know, it's fine. I get it. They, they were, they were being spoon fed a one-sided story and still to this day in some respects are um, that didn't bother me one bit because they don't know the real story. They don't know what's behind it. They don't know what live golf's all about. Um, so that didn't really bother me, but uh, there were, there were a few comments here and there that, that got to me a little that week in London, but since then, not one bit, because anybody who's been to a live event, anybody who's watched a live event, even if you're a traditionalist by nature, you can't, you can't deny that the production is incredible. You can't deny that they're fun to be at. I've never talked to a soul at a live golf event who had a bad time, never even heard from anybody who had a bad time um, while they were there. So no, it's, it's, it's really cool to be part of something exciting and new and, and the pushback, publicly through social media was to be expected because the monopoly was losing their grip uh, very, very quickly overnight, actually, and and really didn't know how to handle that because they'd never, ever been threatened before. Yeah, it's, that's one thing you mentioned there about some of the influencers and um, fanalists, which have been so extreme on one side. Um, is that you say that's something that's that shocked you are there any examples that you can think of which um sort of stand out to mind where you just like that's just completely untrue they should never have said that oh there's plenty but i it, the the worst thing i think you could possibly greg norman told me i think you've heard this story i think i told you actually tom he told me in london before we went to air the first day because uh, he knew i after we went to air the first day that's when a lot of it started um and he said jerry just take the high road because there's not a whole lot of traffic and and I, if I were to name them specifically, that just gives them more attention and that defeats the whole purpose that plays into their hand. No, it's 
I'm fine. I'm fine with it all. It's fair. I I welcome the opportunity to go publicly in a non-edited interview and debate anything they want to say with me about the pluses and minuses. They will not win. Is that I have noticed that there are um, a certain podcast in particular that's not had anybody on from Live. Um, is is that because do you think that's them that's decided not to do that? Like, why would they have done that? Not, not, not in my realm of knowledge. I, I know that no. uh, everybody from Live, associated with Live, has followed the advice of Greg the best that they possibly can, which is to take the high road because every obstacle that's been in our way, we've overcome. So why, why, why go down to that level? the level that they've been playing on for over a year. It's, it's just not important. Yeah, fair play. Um, well, uh, moving on. So how does how does working for Liv? Um, I met James and went through the production uh, team and sort of met them all in Valderrama. And I was, I mean, I've never been involved in anything like that, but the whole setup just completely blew me away. Um, how does that compare to like the setup that you had at the Golf Channel when you're working and covering women's golf? Oh, night and day, night and day from a budget standpoint, from a... From a, a don't get me wrong, NBC Golf Channel are committed to putting the best possible product on the air they can each and every week, as is CBS and anybody else who does golf, Turner as well. Um, what we had was the, the, the comfort of having the resources to be able to do it exactly how they wanted to. When they hired James Watson, who's my most immediate boss, James Watson, his boss, Will Steger, obviously goes up to Greg Norman and on on from there and my producer Keith Hirschman. Um, when they hired James, they said, you know, you've been around sports and, and doing all kinds of stuff with golf on limited budgets for all this time, but you always have these ideas that you want, that you, you think would make it better. Um, how would you like to take a job where you can implement every single one of those ideas and think of even other ones? And he has been kind of the, the innovator behind all of the, the differences that you see in a live golf broadcast versus a, uh, traditional golf broadcast, whether it be on Sky or BBC, NBC, CBS here in the States. Um, along with Will and James, they hired, they they contracted a consultant, a guy named David Hill, who I say this all the time, if there was a Mount Rushmore of broadcast executives for sports, he would be on it. He's the one who essentially brought football to Fox Network in the U.S. and turned it from an absolute obscure local TV station into a major player in the network uh, in the network game throughout the U.S. Uh, so they had a great team behind them. And then they they came up with these ideas when I met them uh, over a Zoom call and we were going through all these scenarios. And, I'm, you know, I've been doing golf. I'm 60 years old at the time or 59. And I've been doing golf forever in one one manner. And it's like, OK, OK, I'm not going to say no. This is stupid. This is weird. This is this is crazy. And we got to London and it took about five, 10 minutes. And I'm like, this is the way it should have been done all along. This is awesome. It's fast. There's so much information on the screen. Almost every single graphic we use doesn't take away from the action. We don't have to cut away. Uh, we have a producer who can keep up with it fast, 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 fast. He's not going to show a guy tap in after missing a 20-foot or go up, mark it, tap it in, and then walk off the green so we can show his scorecard for the day. He goes to the next shot. The guy's going to make the one-footer. Um, there's so much about it that is refreshing. The part that's hard, though, is we don't take commercial breaks. Even in the U.S. where we do have commercial break opportunities, we're also providing the world feed. So Arlo and David and I are basically sitting in those same chairs for about five and a half to six hours. And I love David. That's a long time next to Arlo. <laughs> 
Well, he's English, so he's into a different kind of football, so that probably doesn't help. <laughs> Actually, they've just they've literally just beat my team four one. So Arda will be a happy man this evening. Leicester, Leicester is uh, Leicester's like at the top of the list to get from go from relegation this year back to promotion next year, right? That's right. They're a very strong team, and and I support Southampton, who were you know they're similar kind of level but um yeah they beat us 4-1 today at home so that's not good for us but yeah Arlo will be a happy man isn't that Richard Bland's team too it is yes Blandy yeah he's uh yeah I know Blandy really well he's um yeah big Saints fan um he goes he goes a fair bit when he's back uh yeah so they'll have some banter next week I'm sure in Chicago um so the way the um the broadcast works with the shotgun start um how how difficult is that to sort of keep on top of what's going on, on the golf course? Is it like when they're flicking between players so quickly? Uh, do you struggle to find sort of what's going on, or is that all the information always right in front of you? Oh no 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 no! It's uh, we we have access to all that information, but it happens so quickly. By the time you look it up, you're onto the next shot. So you just keep up. You just it engages you much like the viewer. Uh, I think one of David Hill's quotes, the guy who they you know, the, the the Mount Rushmore golf broadcast executives he had a great quote let's turn golf from a like i'm doing right now leaning back sport on your couch maybe falling asleep to a lean forward you know when you're watching something you lean forward like it's going to give you a better view it doesn't but you lean forward he wanted to turn golf into a lean forward and and even when uh, the from that first day on i've been leaning forward the entire time while we're on the air because i'm engaged i it's not hard to keep track of uh the first day maybe a little bit more than the second and then the third because you could have a leader coming from any part of the, any part of the course but we've studied the course we know the holes we and uh and it becomes second nature to you but at second and third day of course leaders are all going to be within a, a group or two of each other and we don't it doesn't really affect much but no it's it's the shotgun start is the key to it all the players love it the fans seem to really love it because they don't have to spend all day out there to see everybody they want to see and uh, from a TV window, it's it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. That's one of the things I went to, obviously, you know, I went to Valderrama and uh, Centurion, and I was blown away at the amount of families that were there. And I guess yeah. you could take your kids because you know it's only going to be five hours of golf, and then you've got the activities afterwards, like the gigs or whatever's going on in the fan village. Um, so it just makes it so much more accessible, I think, for um, to take your, take your family there and then not get bored. So... Yeah, I think that's the shotguns do work personally. We had some friends, um, so I had new new friends, I call them. I met them the week before. Um, became uh, husband and wife and two young kids came to Oklahoma City to Tulsa. And uh, and they didn't want to go. And I'm like, why won't you go? Well, we got kids. We can't go watch the golf. I'm like, yeah, you can. One of you can watch at a time if you want. Go to the kids zone. And they called me up or they actually texted me on their way home that day back to Oklahoma city from Tulsa. And so that was the time of our life. The kids absolutely loved it. Husband loved it. He got to see some golf, got to see some great players, but just the experience in general um, was really cool. There's no rule that golf can't be fun to attend. There's just no rule that it can't be fun to attend. And for most people, even if they're non-golfers, 30% of our audience on site is a non-golfer, never been to a tournament before in their life. Um, they love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, and that's the feedback, which um, even people which are negative on live and, and the product, when they've been to an event, they've always said they've had fun. So I think that kind of proves that they're, they're going the right way with that. Um, but back onto the, the the way people seem to say that the golf doesn't mean anything and they're, they're struggling to buy into the storylines. Um, what what do you, what are your sort of uh, views as a broadcaster? Like how, 
how do you get try to engage your audience in the the golf side of things rather than just like the craziness of live and the fun aspect of it well i i think it's easy they're seeing some of the some of the best players in the world they're seeing certainly most of the biggest personalities in the game of professional golf and they're seeing them all at the same time it shouldn't be too hard to engage um, if you're used to watching a slower pace, more stoic broadcast of professional golf, it's going to seem a little unusual to you at first. But if you don't, if you give it, you know, 10 minutes, you're going to be you're going to be wondering why in the world everybody else doesn't do it the same way, especially the scoring pylon and the graphics that are that are so far ahead of what I've ever seen before from a technology evolution standpoint. It's ridiculous. Um the team aspect, I was the biggest skeptic, Tom, when it started. I was the biggest. I mean, you got these corny names and four-man team golf. And remember, we were counting two scores originally um, until the last day, and then it was three scores. I was one of the biggest skeptics, and I talked to Poulter and Westwood at that draft party in London a year and a half ago. And, uh, and it was intoxicating how bought in they were already. The Majestic showed up to the very first event with an entire organization, a structure intact. Uh, they, because we grew up on separate sides of the Atlantic, their team sport mentality, uh, and having played a lot more team golf than any of us did as kids, it, it really permeated the conversation. And they weren't, they weren't trying to sell me on it. They didn't need to sell me on it. They were just explaining why they think it was such a huge, huge innovation in the advancement of professional golf from a from a viewership standpoint, from a popularity standpoint, a, a sport that had been stagnant for so many years in terms of growing the audience. Um, not even talking about growing participation, but just growing the audience had been stagnant for so long, and all of a sudden it's not anymore. And I think the team aspect of live golf is, and you go in the merchandise tent. Oh my God. You know, I got, what is this, uh, Live Golf Adelaide shirt on. They don't, these sold well because it's got a kangaroo on it, but they want, they want the team. I mean, the range goats sell out every single day. Four aces and on and on and on and on. Crushers, smash. They sell out their merchandise almost every single day. Uh, so the, the team aspect of it's pretty darn cool. I must admit, though, I, I'm struggling still now to to buy into the team aspect of things because when you go to a tournament, it it feels like the individual is more important. And um, even like in the flash press conferences, it's not like they're bringing in the whole of the teams after each day if they're leading. Um, and I'm struggling to sort of, um, I don't know what the word is, buy into really the the like the golf side of the team thing. Um, is there anything that you think they could do to to help get people involved in that? Because I'm not seeing when I post about the team aspects on social media, I'm not seeing a huge amount of engagement um, from that side of things. So do you think there's anything that Liv could do better to help sell that? Uh, no, it's so new to people. I think it's just going to be a natural evolution. When you look at the at the behavior and the demeanor and the comments and and everything from the players, you realize how much it means to them. Uh, there's they. The, uh, the North American audience is rarely exposed to team golf in any way other than an obscure college tournament on TV every now and then. Um, you're, I don't think your TV audience gets a whole lot of team golf in the UK either. And there's a lot of tournaments, but there's not a lot of television coverage of it. I, I don't think, I think it's just a natural evolution. Um, I remember Dustin Johnson, I think it was, was it at Andalusia? Was it not in Spain where he had the putt on, uh, on his final hole 
to help the four aces, to give the four aces a chance to win. And he was well out of contention individually, about six foot putt. And he made it. And Dustin Johnson doesn't fist pump anything unless it's a winning putt. He was, you could see the relief in his eyes. And then moments later, Cam Smith had the putt to win individually by two and the team to win by one, even though he claims to not know what it meant. It was complete bullshit because you saw his, his reaction to missing that putt afterwards. And I called it a crushing win. It was absolutely, once he found out that putt, a six foot, eight foot putt on the final hole was to win the team event uh, as well. Uh, when he found out for sure, I'm, I'm convinced he knew it already. Um, he was he was devastated by it, even though he had just won four million dollars in the individual title. It was I think when you see what it means to the players, it doesn't it doesn't take a lot of imagination to buy into it. Yeah, that moment was actually a centurion. I was um yeah. I was sitting at the side of the green just underneath Club 54. And um you could see, like you say, I've never seen a man look so devastated about winning four million bucks because Cam yeah. was gutted <laughs> after he missed that. And that, that did yeah, that did kind of make me um my eyes open a little bit to what it means to the players. Um and I guess like you say, it just takes a lot of time and it just um over the coming seasons people will start to buy into it. But the main thing for me is that golf team events have always been like head to head, like the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup. It's always direct match play. And when you have someone to root against as well as root for, um it I don't know, it makes it a bit more entertaining. But um yeah, I don't know if maybe maybe they could have more another match play event halfway through the season or something, which would uh, go down quite well because that team event in Miami seems seems pretty cool. Well, the good news is we have some very bright people who run Live Golf from the from the executive standpoint, some extremely bright people. Um, there's nothing off the table in terms of how do we make it bigger and better. Uh, so I think every every possible scenario is is discussed and weighed and uh, and decided upon. Um, but you know we're 14 events. That's that's it. We're going to be 14 events. I don't think we're ever going to be more than that. We're 12 teams. I can't see us getting a whole lot bigger than that. Um, and and the the traction is is we can see it day in and day out. Uh, even from the first week, first day in London, we've seen that traction growing with the golf audience. Uh, and now, of course, the, the June 6th um, press conference basically took away a lot of the gasoline to the fire of the vitriol that had been thrown our way, the shade that had been thrown our way for so long um, that I think, I, I, I think we're, we've been doing a lot of things right, but that's, we don't, the bosses, the execs, they don't rest on their laurels. They want this thing to get huge and I'm, couldn't be more convinced that it's going to. You do see that with how flexible Liv is to make changes. Like like you say, they've changed the team format from last year already. And um, yeah. I imagine that's, I've been getting quite frustrated that there's been a lack of communication with like how the team draft and stuff works. But I can understand, but there's probably things going down to the wire because they're trying to make the best decisions they can. Um, and actually on that, have, have you heard anything about how the team drafts will work for next season? Like are the teams going to be ranked for the first picks of the guys in the open zone or anything like that? Do you know any information? I think the guys in the open zone, I, I do know a little bit. I don't know a lot. And I do know some things that I probably shouldn't talk about, but I can't remember what they are. So hell with it. Um, I know the guys in the open zone, that's just a matter of, I don't think there's a draft for those guys. I think it's just a matter of negotiating uh, to be on a team and hopefully to be on the team you were on. They have no guarantees. If they're not captains or, or I guess contracted players, 
and they have no guarantee that they're going to be on a team if say you know for example uh kevin na wants to go out and get somebody to join the team with a far better resume be it from the pga tour dp world tour or wherever and replace somebody on his team scott vincent who is could finish in the top 24 He's certainly not in danger of being uh, relegated. If he wanted to go replay, Scott's got no guarantee. So those guys, it's all a negotiation. I don't think there's a draft. I think that there will be some sort of draft for the guys who come in from the um, promotions event, from our Q school, if you will, from the two or three guys that come in from that, in addition to Andy Ogletree, who's likely going to end up, I think he already has wrapped up the, uh, the automatic spot from leading the Asian Tour International Series. Uh, and he's also got a really good chance if he plays the next two events to finish in the top 24. Yeah, that, that top 24 is is fascinating. And I've noticed, I don't know if, if you're aware, but Richard Bland is currently in based on a countback result because he got the third place points when he was tied third a few events back. And the difference in the points that he won because of his countback has got him into that top 24. So, I mean, it's a great storyline anyway that Rich is... 53 and he's um obviously making the biggest money of his career of playing on live and he's doing so well but if he secured another season based on countback like, i just find that that just blows my mind do you know what i mean yeah, yeah they do the countback we call it tiebreaker you call it countback they do the, the the countback uh for the points distribution um that countback cost patrick reed four million dollars in Jeddah last year it cost him four million dollars it also cost uh it cost uh, uh, Peter Uline, who ended up essentially tied points wise with Brandon Grace, it cost him second and third. Brandon got ended up getting second in the year long individual based on countback with, uh, I believe it was with Uline, and then and then Patrick Reed lost in the countback for the four million third place or third place. It, uh, but there's a reason why they do that. Um, for the points distribution and it's a fair it's a fair system and it's laid out there at the beginning of the season and everybody knows what it is but basically the if you if you and I tie our highest finish breaks the tie and if the highest finish is the same the number of those highest finishes and on down the line um, but there's a whole elaborate system of tiebreakers for every single scenario uh, be it uh, each individual event or team event and then season long yeah, it is, it is a really cool storyline that is. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how Rich gets on actually over the next uh, few events because, um, you know, if, if he, like I was saying earlier, if he does get his card for, again for next year, it's just as a 53-year-old, it's just it's just so cool, isn't it? Um, I think the way he's played, I don't think he's in any jeopardy of not getting signed on by somebody. But I don't no, know. No, that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Definitely. Um, but back to when you made the decision to sign for Liv, um, you signed during the week of the US Women's Open. Was that a really tough thing to do? Because I, they announced that week that they had the biggest purse ever, and I imagine you'd have loved to have been involved in that if, if you could have been. Uh, I made the decision probably two or three weeks before that, um, and there were a lot of political factors as to why the timing of it happened the way it was from a Liv standpoint. But uh, when I got the okay from my the guys who had hired me and signed a contract at live which actually technically was a violation of my former contract but um it's the nature of the industry um it gave me the go ahead to go ahead and call uh golf channel nbc my boss is there and say hey this is what i want to do here are the different scenarios can i do this and do golf channel for the rest of the year 
can I not do this? They were in their complete right to say, no, you can't do that. You have a contract with us through the end of the year. Or can I, option number one, can I be released from my contract so I can do all eight events this year? Because I had some conflicting events. And I got a call back the next day while Karen and I were driving up to the U.S. Open at Pinehurst, the Women's Open. And uh, they said, uh, it was very, Mark Loomis was the guy. And I, he wasn't my boss for very long because he was new to Golf Channel, former Fox producer. But he, he, he was very cool. And he said, Jerry, you, 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 uh, if this is what you want to do, you've earned the right to do it. And they let me out of my contract. So said, all right, Karen and I are driving to Pinehurst right now in my truck. We're together. She's going to be working. And I'm not. I go, is it okay if I go? Or would you, would you prefer that I catch a flight home? He goes, no, go and hang out. Everybody's going to be cool with the decision you made. You're just you're not working this week, but go hang out and uh, and enjoy the week and basically on their dime. Um, so that was cool and it was great and I had a good time. And then there was one reporter who caught wind of it while I wasn't working that week because I was supposed to be working, obviously, and uh, and called me for a quote. And, and my quote was, was I, I was not going to confirm anything. I said, you don't, nobody wants to talk about a golf commentator this week. It's the biggest week in the history of women's professional golf. Let the focus be there. And uh, he reported anyway. And so that's when it was kind of like attending your own funeral because once the story broke, and I don't think a commentator should ever be the news, but evidently he was doing his job and that became a little bit of the news because there was so much controversy around with golf. But uh, it was like attending your own funeral because so many people uh, texted me, emailed me, social media contacted me saying, you deserve this for so long, blah, 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 blah. It was awesome. I mean, it was like literally going to your own funeral and everybody saying nice things about you. Then we went on the air a week and a day later, a week and a day later, and I was the worst person in the world. So it was a, quite the roller coaster of emotions for 10 or 12 days. Yeah, I can imagine that. And um, next week, it'd be the first Solheim Cup that you haven't covered for a few years. Um, are you going to miss that? How does that feel? Yeah, and Karen's going. She's going right back down to where we were, one of my favorite places on earth that I'd never been to before, Andalusia area. Um, yeah, I'm going to miss it. I'll watch as much as I possibly can, but we'll be on the air at the same time uh, as they're later. Later, bro. I'll get up early to watch. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. I still go to a lot of LPJ events. I go out to the course. I see all my friends and everybody's cool as can be. Uh, and and it's always going to be part of my DNA to be a, a fan of the LPJ tour and of women's professional golf, women's sports in general, but specifically professional golf and the and the 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 long unaccomplished goal of getting the female professional athletes and especially professional golfers the credit they deserve. Not and it doesn't matter have anything to do with money, but the credit and 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 attention that they deserve by being the best in the absolute world at what they do. Um, that I will never stop crusading for. And so I will be, yeah, I'll be a, an advocate for the LPJ and women's professional golf in general for the rest of my living days. Yeah, because you were the face of it for so long. You did such a good job in helping to promote women's sport and, and women's golf, obviously, in particular. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I think that they're making good good sort of strides in the right direction now. But but what do you think they, that can happen to help push that, that side of the sport forwards? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've been back and forth on that and had so many thoughts of it through the years. Um, I think it all comes down to people in, in their boardrooms in corporate America and corporate UK who say all the right things, who, 
who want to want to be a part of all of these progressive and equal opportunity type initiatives, I think it's a matter of walking the walk instead of just talking the talk. And there's been a number of companies that have done it, AIG, KPMG, uh, and, and quite a few others who have done it in a big way. But until that money gets a little uh, less disparaging in terms of the difference, I don't think the audience, the sporting audience takes it quite as seriously. Men's and women's tennis at the Grand Slam events has such a huge, uh, such a huge bonus in terms of the popularity of their sport because they are paid the exact same thing because their purses are the same and they get to, you know, they're playing at the same venue and on the same TV. Um, once the women's compensation gets to a level that is commensurate somewhat with what men get paid, then I think the viewer has a, another, a better opportunity to say, oh, they must really, you know, this might be worth watching. The WNBA has had a banner year, an absolute banner year ratings wise. And because all it took was a few guys, a few guys, a few NBA guys to get involved and to, and to I think a couple of them own one of the teams now and to promote the WNBA and their ratings have been absolutely through the roof. Um, women's soccer, believe it or not, women's World Cup soccer is more popular here than men's when it comes down to it from a, from a viewership standpoint. And that's, and they don't get paid anything like what the men do. I can't say it's more popular, but it certainly draws a, a pretty darn good audience when it's not played in the middle of the night, like it was this past year. Um, but so there, there are, there are inroads being made, but until the media and the fans view them with the credibility that they've earned by being the best in the world at what they do. And, and of course that's always going to be, compared to men's sports from a compensation standpoint, then uh, then I think you're doing a, it, it's a really hard hill to climb to get the fan base uh, the way it can be. There are certain countries where it is. You go to uh, Korea, you go to Japan, women's golf is so much bigger than men's golf. Um, but we're a long ways from that here in the in the North America and the, especially in the UK. Yeah, it's, I think that you kind of touched the touched it there with the media coverage because I went to an LET event um, earlier this year and I was surprised at how few uh, like uh, publications there were there. Um, it's just just seems that if you can build up these stars, like we have one in the UK and Charlie Hall, and all she needs to win is a is a, a major, and then she'll be an absolute superstar because she's she's electric to watch, you know, and she she's so aggressive and attacks everything, and she's she's such good fun to watch. I just think that that if we could do more to sort of build these stars up. So, um, yeah, I'm sort of hoping that that's a sort of direction that I'm going to take flushing it in the future as well and to help to push that side of the game. Um, is there, um, is there any talk at all still about there being a live women's series? Uh, I don't, I haven't had that conversation in, uh, probably about eight or nine months. I do ask Greg every once in a while, what's, what's the plan? What's the plan? I know, I know they would like to, I know they would like to, but I think, uh, with, the new framework agreement and the partnership, if you will, with the PJ Tour and DP World Tour. I think a lot of things need to be ironed out with what we're doing moving forward before they uh, try expanding it. But I know the LPJ is now heavily involved with the LET, and I know the LET has been involved with the Aramco series for a long, long time. And essentially, in some respects, that's very much the same. So I could see that end of things growing substantially in the future. Um, I would love to see a, a live women's league. Matter of fact, I think we were we were in London like our second or third day last year, and I had my bosses sheet. I go, here's what you want. 
here's our team drive here. Let's go. Let's get this rolling. Um, and uh, and I think the politics of it now would be a whole lot easier to muddle through than they were for us um, a year and a half ago. Yeah, it would be awesome. Um, there's a lot of talk about the LPJ and the LET merging together. Have you heard much about that at all? Just a little bit from Karen, and I, I, I haven't asked for details, but I think there is a there's some kind of partnership there that I don't even know anything about, but uh, something's going on. Yeah, yeah, it'd be cool to have a like a global women's tour, and and hopefully when the um, new co gets sorted with Live and the PJ tour, if we have a global men's tour as well, that would be pretty yeah. sweet. Um, have you heard much about the merger deal or anything like that? You probably can't talk about it, but no. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I could, I, if I knew more, I would, I would tell you unless I was told not to. But I haven't been told not to say anything because I don't know anything. All, all, all I know is we are business as usual moving forward. Certainly next year, and I keep hoping um, years after that because I don't want the. I personal. This is just me personally. I don't want the momentum of what our team has done and gone through to get to this point to be lost through some new fangled watered down version of team golf uh, that is reliance upon uh, external funding as opposed to internal uh, revenues uh, to be successful. Yes. Yeah, I, I, mean, I hear a lot of stuff from all sides of this and um, it feels like they are trying to get to a deal but i feel like they're just miles away because there's so many different opinions and so many people that they have to get it through i just don't see how they're going to get a deal together by the end of the year but um it doesn't really matter for live because you're carrying on next season anyway so it's all good isn't it um with there being just two events of the regular season left what do you think is the biggest storyline on live at the moment uh i mean you can't look past what Brooks did in the majors and what the live players did in the majors from a statistical analysis standpoint, overachieving against uh, all of the vitriol and rhetoric that had been play, uh, thrown their way. Um, that's one of the biggest stories. Uh, I think the fact that five teams have separated themselves there are five good teams and seven teams that have, that have not done well at all. We have, I think 20, 29 points that separate the fifth from the first team. And we have 63 points that separate five from six. So there's basically five solid teams moving forward into the, into the playoffs, into the, the team championship in Miami. Um, I think Taylor Gooch doing what he did three wins and, and not even leading and could be mathematically eliminated after Chicago from winning the individual $18 million title. Uh, if Cam were to win and he weren't to finish on the podium, he would be eliminated. It'd be over. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't, I think the biggest story is that the hands down, Tom, the biggest story, quite honestly, is, is something one of the players told me after that meeting with, you know, where they announced the formation of NUCO, as you say, of, uh, of the framework agreement that people don't have to apologize to be live fans anymore. I think that's the biggest story of the year because all of that vitriol, all of that, all of that uh, negative publicity that was, as Graham McDowell once called it, a smear campaign against us for the reasons of protecting a monopoly. All of that seems to have diminished in one day. Uh, obviously, those wounds are slow to heal um, for a lot of people, including the players, including the broadcasters and the fans. 
but that's uh, that's done. So now people don't have to apologize uh, to wear a live hat going through the airport or to or to show up at a event or tell their friends they're buying tickets to come see a live event because it looks like fun. Um, I think a lot of that has been thrown to the wayside now, and I think that's the biggest thing for live. And I think our television numbers and viewership and part and uh, and attendance have shown that throughout the year that just keeps growing and growing. Yeah, I agree. And I've, I've certainly noticed that on my socials that the pushback has been a lot less when you talk about yeah. Uncover Live than it than it was. Um, yeah. I mean, last year at some points, it was just, it was like the most hostile thing ever to just even just mention Live. You just got yeah. attacked. But um, that's definitely changed. It's, um, if you if you had to list, so if there was three things, why do you why do you like Live as a product? So what would you say, if you know, as you've been in the industry a long time, what do you think is so good about it? Uh, just uh, from a television standpoint, it's just it 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 doesn't stop. It's just nonstop action for five hours, and it's fast, and it's and it's it, it just is presented in a way that is so non-traditional from a golf broadcast standpoint that makes a younger viewer or a non-golf viewer say, "Wait a minute, hang on, what was that? This is pretty cool. It's not you know guys whispering into a microphone, lingering on a player for." two and a half minutes as he prepares to hit a shot and then cutting to commercial. No, it's bang, 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 bang. It is, it's, it's got a team sport kind of action to it. You know, you're, you're a football fan, you're football, our soccer. Um, you guys go 45 minutes plus whatever the referee, referee arbitrarily decides is bonus time um, without cutting away from it. And there's always something going on. Live golf brings a lot more of that dynamic to the viewer than golf ever has in the past. Yeah, I totally agree. Like people always ask me all the time, like why why do you like live so much? As well, golf's done the same thing for a hundred years. It was due change. Um, yeah. I like golf. I like music. I like fun, and I like the fact that live's taking golf around the world. So, like, why wouldn't I like live? It's kind of if you don't have any bias, which I don't have with flushing it because there's no financial incentive involved in it at all. Then you just say how it is, and that's the truth, isn't it? But <laughs> it's a new product, which is which is yeah, you have to give it time to mature, but um. Yeah, I'm hoping I can see the uh, the possibilities there. So, yeah, I hope it goes in the direction that everyone sort of says that it will. So, it will. Um, it definitely will. No, good stuff. Well, um, yeah, thanks, thanks for your for your time, Jerry. I appreciate that, and we'll leave it on the positive. I think, and um, I'll let you get back to enjoying your evening. I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks so much. I enjoyed this okay. very much. Okay, thanks, Jerry. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Cheers.